welcome to Things That Will Help with Buffy Barfoot. This podcast explores what it's like to be human and how to find tools to feel clear, grounded, and happier. Each episode will have a different theme, and we'll talk about things that help to bring that theme to real life. The human stories ahead do not negate the heart or the dark, but rather point to the lighthouses along the way. This is Buffy. Each week is a different ingredient. There is not, there's not one thing that will help. There's so many things that will help. And you can think of these little episodes in this podcast and these stories as like thin little books that you can pull down from your shelf anytime. And they don't have a certain order. And I think that you'll likely use some more than others at different times of your story. And none of these things that will help that I talk about are a magic bullet or anything that will transform everything. They are relatively simple and medicinal when they're applied at the right time. And ironically, some of the things that will help contradict one another because they're like um, kind of like essential oils or watercolors. They have to be they have to be used and blended well. And if you get frantic and kind of panicky and you slather things on too many at once, you end up with a muddy mess in terms of like watercolors. And in the case of essential oils, you end up smelling too many things at once too strong. So think about it that way, these little potent ingredients that you can choose um, what's helpful for the day. And today I want to talk about being brave enough to change. And I don't think we can really discuss bravery without talking about risk and fear. It's sometimes really, really scary and painful to grow out of something and to crack through your comfort shell. One of the writers that I so dearly love, Elizabeth Gilbert, she wrote a note to fear that I want to read to you. Fear, I recognize and respect that you are a part of this family, and so I will never exclude you from activities. But still, your suggestions will never be followed. You're allowed to have a seat and you're allowed to have a voice, but you are not allowed to have a vote. You're not allowed to touch the roadmaps. You're not allowed to suggest detours. You're not allowed to fiddle with the temperature. Dude, you're not even allowed to touch the radio. But above all else, my dear and old familiar friend, you are absolutely forbidden to drive. And I just, I love that by Elizabeth Gilbert. I love this so much. And the thing that I really note about this is fear does get to ride. It gets a seat because I know and you know because you've lived a while, squashing fear entirely is not possible. And the more that we try to pretend to squash it completely, the bigger it seems to get. Otis recently had to go into the doctor's office and receive a shot. And he was scared and he cried. He cried on the way there before and then he cried during the shot and he cried afterwards which of course just breaks your heart um, when, the, when the littles do this. And, and he sobbed 
kind of through the sobs, he said, Mama, I was not brave. I cried, which just broke me in two. And I thought, oh, my goodness. And I just held him tighter, realizing that somehow he had not understood what being brave is. And then, of course, I explained to him that being brave never means not being scared, but instead it means being scared and doing something anyway. And his whole little body softened in my lap when I talked about this. And I want to say here, too, in parentheses, that I'm not commenting on bravery and risk and fear in terms of being careless with other people and their safety with this virus. This episode, even though it's situated in the height of a global pandemic, um, I'm really talking about artistic bravery. I'm talking about life and love bravery, about getting a different career bravery, about um, going without makeup bravery for some of us, about tell the truth bravery, speak in public bravery, that, that kind of thing, the kind of risk that makes your heart soar and your pathway open up, and the kind of risk that really puts the fear of whether you belong to a radiant purpose, putting that fear at last to bed. And that's the kind of risk and bravery and change I'm calling in for us. Those of us who like, and I'm including myself in this for sure, those of us who like to prune and comb our perfectionist parts, a good reminder is people don't want perfect. It's too much. They want loving, sharp, communicative, throwing things on the wall. They want art and ideas and love and generosity. And it turns out when you have the energy of those things, you inevitably lose the veneer of of perfectionism. And that's a good thing because perfectionism keeps us tight and not being brave um, as a perfectionist keeps us tight and close and not, um, not spreading out in the ways that, that we really deserve to and that we really need to in order to live the fullest life. So you can be calm, you can be wild, and both of those things can be brave. I think brave has multiple costumes, your brave is different than my brave. And your brave on a Tuesday is different than your brave on Friday. I just witnessed uh, a friend on social media announce that her family is moving abroad to New Zealand. And the borders are closed right now, but her husband is a doctor and considered an essential worker. And they are packing it all up and moving across the world And my first word when I read her post was brave. Two tiny kids, brave. Changing everything, brave. Maybe something that cracks their whole life open in all the good ways, super brave. At least, at the very least, an adventure, something for their family history book. Big, big, big brave. But I also think that brave can be quiet, too. Like, no one notices but you. Sometimes it feels brave to say, no, thank you. You don't have to move to another country to be brave. 
And do you want to know one thing I found that's key to being brave? And that's imagination. You have to have some vision out there, vision out there. Because it requires you, being brave requires you to walk into the dark. Those who are brave believe in something they can only see a tiny corner of. And those people go anyway. Brave people see that things could be totally different across that bridge. And they have exercised their imagination enough to wander and to be comfortable enough in the dream space. I want to tell you two shorter stories about my mother, Vivi, we call her now. She, my mom grew up with two brothers, and that was in the 50s, so it was, it was a time when not all girls were encouraged to go to college. And she said that in her house and in their community, in their school, people from, from the beginning had always talked about Wayne and Kenneth going to college. And no one said she couldn't, but she said it never really came up. People just didn't really talk about it. And she had one teacher in high school, Mrs. Grace, which is perfectly named, that Mrs. Grace one time in passing had said uh, said to my mom, she said, Vivian, when you go to college, and my mom said, oh, I'm, I'm not going to college Wayne and Kenneth are. And that teacher squared my mother's shoulders and she said, you most certainly are going to college. And my mom said it was literally the first time she had ever even thought about it. Sometimes bravery comes from just one other person pointing and taking her chin and one arm around our shoulders and pointing to something up ahead that we couldn't see ourselves. So thank you, Mrs. Grace. You set something into motion that changed multiple generations of women, teachers, and thought leaders. We are still feeling, our family is still feeling the sentence that you said out loud to my mother all these years later. She told me the story. I will tell Coretta the story. And if Coretta has a daughter, she will tell the story. And the story will continue if bravery had a color, I think it that it would be green. It is lush. Bravery is a place where things grow. It is fertile and rich. And usually bravery creates something that you can one day harvest. Second story about our Vivi. When I was 16, my mom left my dad. They had been married for 25 years, and she had tried long enough. She was exhausted. She was gaslit. She was tired of living in a turtle shell of fear and sadness, and she was just flat as she could be, so she left. My dad, who y'all know I love dearly and have so many sweet memories of, he just, he just wasn't really a great husband to her for a long time. He had long periods of darkness, and she was often left alone with two small children holding the family together. And eventually, he had an affair. And it was the final thing, but it was not the only thing that broke the camel's back. So she'd had enough, 
and she eventually became brave enough to leave. And she really wasn't sure how it was going to work financially. She even had somebody very close to her tell her to file bankruptcy and that it was the only way that she was going to get through it. But she didn't do that. She figured it out. She worked really hard. She puzzled the pieces together to make a plan. And with this newfound emotional space, she found for herself that she eventually thrived. She survived and then she thrived. And she was scared, but she also knew it was the only choice for her because living inside the marriage had no longer become a viable option. And that kind of bravery that she had, it makes a mark on the ancestral timeline and it creates a healing mark for generations to come that have been witness to that bravery. And her mother, my mama, she would worry so much about things like that and and not just about about my mom separating from my dad, but she didn't want to want anybody to do anything uncomfortable or anything hard or anything that might make you tired or put you outside of the box. Not to say that Memo wasn't brave because Memo did do very brave things. And I do think that each generation has their own markers of braveness, which change depending on what has happened to us collectively. And bravery really is, most of the time, hard. Otis, a couple of weeks back, was at the stage where he was asking us to check his closet for monsters before he went to sleep. And we assured him monsters aren't real. And, and after, you know, several nights of saying that, I think he believed us. So most recently... When I went in to tuck him in, he asked me to check his room (laughs) for cheetahs and tigers, which I uh, did. I did without laughing. Um, And to find no cheetahs and no tigers waiting to pounce. But I got so tickled about it later with Matt. And I said, I wonder what this is about, this cheetah and tiger thing. And Matt had really good insight. He said, well... He now believes that monsters aren't real, but I think that kids need to be afraid of something. So cheetahs and tigers, he knows they're real. They're actually real in the world. And so he's kind of choosing that to be afraid of. And, and I think that's right. And I would, I would take it one step further and say it's not just kids. I think we, all of us, need to create something to be afraid of. Um. If there's not an an obvious monster for us, I think it somehow makes us feel more productive if we're running away from something. And our monster is so often just the feeling of uncertainty or the feeling of being out of control of the outcome. But the irony is, if we don't lose control a little, then our imagination never really kicks in to think about what could be. Somewhere back in the earlier podcasts, I told you the story about me learning to love the rain when I was five in that dead-end circle, just riding around and around and around in the pouring rain with my dad watching from the porch. And I framed that story in the process of surrender. I think it was the surrender episode, I believe, that I talked about it. 
But it was also that story really about being brave enough to get wet, about being brave enough to sit down with my monster and see what she had to say. And it's funny to think that we've always had monsters and that it really is human nature to draw these creatures into our lives from the very start to the final finish. The stories and the gravity changes, the stakes change, but the monsters always feel big when they're yours. Going back to Elizabeth Gilbert, who's my favorite when it comes to talking about the creative life, her book Big Magic is still one of my favorites. And I think that actually it is her superpower talking about the creative life and the process of that. And she articulates the gift of creative nectar and potency like no other writer, I think, has done. And, and she has a TED Talk about the call to creativity. And I love this talk. And it, too, in some way points to bravery. She talks about that these ideas, these creative, beautiful stories or things in some way exist on their own, like in the wind or in the fabric of the universe. And that sometimes we're lucky enough for the creative, alive thing to blow into our open window and land on our skin and in our body to make us itch and yearn to bring it into life. And she talks about how if we do not answer, if we do not stop and harness it somehow and give it breath and bones and blood, then that beautiful creative thing will blow away and go to another brave soul into another window. And that to answer it and to put our spin on it is the brave ask. To put fear into the back seat, maybe be afraid, but to do it anyway. And to birth that thing that wants to be birthed. Because if you don't do it, it will be ushered in anyway. And somebody else will do it. This kind of bravery is so compelling to me. It's so interesting to think about art this way and how the pulsation of things is something that we're an essential part of, of a greater conversation, but it absolutely takes our participation and our bravery to step in. Mountain biking, from what I hear is like this. I'm not a mountain biker, ironically, because I'm not physically brave enough to be so. <laughs> but if you, if you hold back, from what I know, from what I've heard, if you hold back, if you don't lean into the path, the curves, of, of the trail, if you hold back and ride scared, that's when you fall, when you crash. So the bravery of mountain biking actually provides the balance you need to carry it through. And I do know this through dancing. When you dance scared or small, you cannot land anything, any of your jumps or turns or, or um, taking up space. You stay too much on the surface instead of under your legs and moving from your power center. And in dance, we call it marking it. If you just kind of halfway do it instead of dancing full out. Physical practice, it's such an important way to practice bravery. And when our bodies learn this, this kind of widening and, and I don't want to say fearlessness because fear is still present, but this kind of um, expansion 
physically. When our bodies learn this through yoga, through dance, or biking, or skiing, or tai chi, or anything that's mindfully physical, we we actually change the bravery landscape in every category across our life. Everybody right now is so into the Queen's Gambit, and I, I've only watched one episode, but the premise of it reminded me so much of one of my favorite movies called Searching for Bobby Fisher. Go watch it if you never have. It's this just gorgeous story. It's about this really young and beautiful boy who's a chess prodigy, just the most remarkable mind in such a small human. And there is one line where his teacher, um, who is played by Ben Kingsley, is watching him play. He's like a six or seven-year-old boy. He's watching him play from another room on a video screen. And the teacher whispers to himself as he's watching, he has won. It's 12 moves away, but that's the game. And he waits and says he doesn't see it yet. He doesn't see it yet. And the little boy is just got his his chin on his hands and he's staring at the board, just staring, staring, staring. And the teacher says he doesn't see it yet. And then the little boy sits straight up in his chair. And the teacher says to himself, he sees it. And the little boy holds his hand across the chessboard and he offers a draw to his opponent, who's another little boy. Because he's kind and he knows that he's won. Sometimes our bravery has to come before we know, when it's just imagination, when the outcome is uncertain. We have to play anyway. We hardly ever know that we're going to win, hardly ever. I was thinking about Denver and how I came here with the wrong man, but how getting here was the right path. It was 12 moves away. And it looked like I'd lost when things crumbled apart all those years ago with Charlie. I'd moved across the country for a life that was not good for me. But the chess move to Denver was right. And eventually, after a lot of heartache, the right partner showed up. The bravery in between, though, was a pretty big monster. The timing, too, is something that we can never count on. So somehow, if we can find the exhilaration in the flight of the uncertain, then we can at least enjoy the process. Maggie Kuhn said, speak the truth even if your voice shakes. One of my favorite quotes, speak the truth even if your voice shakes. And to me that says, speak the truth or do the brave thing, even if it's hard, even if you're scared. And one thing I want to reiterate is that bravery doesn't always have to be big on paper. Sometimes bravery is tiny and a shift that only you can detect, but a shift nonetheless. Most days we have as artists, as parents, as movers, as lightworkers, as co-creators, as students, most days are made up of small steps of chopping wood and carrying water. And the days that Elizabeth Gilbert talks about when the muse blows your windows open and stirs your soul, those are rare. 
but we do have to have our brave ready. We have to have our raincoats ready. But those calls, they don't come in all the time. And each call is different and will not likely come again. So walk into places that are black as pitch without knowing where you are. Train yourself to go and not only survive the terrain, but to come out with a fuller understanding of what it means to be alive. Do it now, and you may understand it more later. I'll leave you a sweetness from Robert Fulgham. I believe that imagination is stronger than knowledge, that myth is more potent than history, that dreams are more powerful than facts, that hope always triumphs over experience, that laughter is the only cure for grief, and I believe that love is stronger than death. Thank you all so much for listening to Things That Will Help. This has been such a special adventure for me and continues to be so to tell these stories. Um, There are ways to support that are on the show notes. Um, There's a Patreon page. You can become a patron, and then you get the practice episodes to go along to support these stories and ways to get into your body and do the physical practice along with just listening. So check that out. Um, There's also playlists to go along with each week that my husband makes that I think are eclectic and special and really fun. So take care of you. Um, Keep listening and tell your friends about this podcast. If you feel so inclined, leave a review, subscribe. um, And I, I always really appreciate your support. Thanks so much.